0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Um, Father, thank you for every single um, person you've brought to this class, Lord. I'm grateful for them and pray that you would use this time as you see fit, Lord. Pray that you would open our ears to hear from you. Pray, Lord, that... Your word would go forth and accomplish that for which you have purposed and i pray lord that this would be an edifying class for everyone involved and um, may you bless this time together to your glory and we ask these things in jesus name amen all right well welcome everybody this is faith and family which i hope you know and we have been doing a series on identity i believe this is week three of our identity series And today, again, as you know, we're gonna be talking specifically about girls and identity. And Cameron did a good job mentioning last week that adolescence in particular is this huge time in which kids start to ask the question, who am I and where do I belong? I mean, y'all remember that phase of your life where that was the question. And so, as a former adolescent girl and someone that knows and loves a lot of adolescent girls, this, this topic of identity is so, so pertinent and such a, hey, Rhett, such a ripe spot, I think, for the gospel to enter into and to really be able to impact and change the life of a young woman. And another thing that Cameron mentioned last week was kind of thinking about just identity 101. You know, as part of our human nature, we all have this innate need for an identity, right? We're all looking for it one way or another. We all have a desire to feel named identified seen to be be able to answer the question who am i and you know in our flesh we are always going to try and find an identity in other things right whether that's our profession the clothes we wear the people we hang out with how much money we make the clubs we're a part of we are always looking for hey guys come on in no 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 you're right on time We are, we're always going to try and attach our identity to other things. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and he bestows on us an identity that's completely external. He bestows on us an identity and says, this is who you are apart from anything that you've done, apart from what you do professionally, apart from the people you hang out with. He gives us an identity that's centered and grounded on Him and His life, death, and resurrection for us. So getting more specifically, I mentioned that girls, particularly adolescent girls, this question of identity, it is such a such unique and such a hard topic for so many growing up girls. And the way that I like to think about it is this idea of girls facing the struggle of being defined by the world versus being defined by the word. And here's what I mean by that. So, on the think of kind of every girl having two radio stations in her head at all times. And I'm sure boys have this too. I just know next to nothing about boys. So, that's why that's why we're here. But think about this idea of two radio stations. So, you've got you've got one station. And this is, you know, FM word. And the word, the holy, inspired, perfect word of God, it comes to us and God speaks a word of identity over us, right? When we go to the word, the the word tells us, well, what are some things that the word tells us about who we are? Child of God, is that what you said? Yes. Perfect. sinners. Sinners, yes. Sinners saved by grace. Co-heirs, that's a good one, Marianna, yes. Beloved, righteous, forgiven. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? So when we come to the word, it reads us. And it, like I said, bestows on us an identity that's totally not tied to our performance. So that's the word. And it's such a helpful guiding framework for making an identity for ourselves. It's not attached to what we do. But then we've got this other radio station, and that's the radio station of the world. And I wasn't an adolescent girl too terribly long ago, but I think that this station is just getting louder and louder. And I mean, y'all are parents, so you get this. You know what it's like. The world is everything else that's coming to our girls and saying, do more, be better. You're not measuring up. You're not enough be thinner, be prettier, have a cuter boyfriend. The world is trying so desperately to give our girls an identity. And I was thinking about a way to kind of paint the picture of the world, and I thought it'd be fun to take a trip down memory lane, look at some Seventeen magazine covers. I don't know if this is still really a thing, but back in the day, I mean, Seventeen magazine could have told me to eat cat food, and I would have done it. (laughs) I, I mean, it was just... But, okay, so here's here's what the world says to girls. Um, own it. Love your body. Use your voice. Be hashtag perfectly me. Okay, right? So the world's saying, you're not loving your body enough. You got you to get better at loving your body. The world says, oh, this is good. Look hot in your jeans. So the world is saying, you don't look hot enough in your jeans. You don't got the right pair of jeans. Or you don't have the right body to look hot in your jeans. Clear skin in one week. The world's saying, girl, you're not allowed to have a pimple. Um, what else is the world saying? Oh, I like this one, crushing hard. How to tell him you want to be more than friends. <laughs> um, again, the world is coming and and saying, you don't have the right tools to tell your crush how to be more than friends. And I'd be so curious to know what Teen Vogue would have to say about that, but that's for another class, I suppose. Okay, so this is the radio station of the world that we've got going on. And, you know, with this all in mind, I do want to give a caveat. The world is not, it's not an inherently bad place. It's God's good creation that we've just made a complete mess out of. And so, I'm not asking us to be Amish, you know, to throw away our phones, go off the grid and move to a farm somewhere, that we're never gonna be able to just completely tune out the world. So the question is not, how do I drown out the world? The question is, how do I turn up the volume of the word radio station and use that to faithfully engage with the world, particularly as it comes to forming an identity? So that, that's kind of the bad news caveat. We're never going to be able to drown out the world completely. The world's always going to be a thing. But here's the good news caveat, is that... The word always wins the day. You know, the word has the final say over your daughter's life. The word is objectively true. Her experience of it is just subjective. So at the end of the day, the word gets to define your daughter and all of us and me. So that's the good news. The word comes to us and it tells us who we are. That's what our real identity is. The world just wants to lie to us about that. Here is what First John, John 3.19 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So the world is going to try and condemn us. It's going to make us feel unworthy. But we have the privilege of reassuring your daughter's heart to her identity in Christ knowing that God is greater than her heart and our hearts. Okay, so today where we're going, we're going to look at four females from the Bible. We've got Eve, we've got Hagar, we've got Martha, and we've got Mary. And we're going to look, hey Stacy, we're going to look at their stories, and we're going to see how each of these women faced an identity lie of the world, and then we're going to see the ways that the world, sorry, the word, that's not going to be the first time I mess those two things up, by the way, so just hopefully you're tracking we're gonna see how the word enters in against that lie of the world All right, so first we're gonna start with our girl Eve and this is a story that we all know well Um, but you know with just about anything ever Genesis 1 through 3 is a good place to start because we're basically just living out iterations of Genesis 1 through 3 all day every day so we gotta start with Eve Uh, we're going to pick up in Genesis three and you can follow along, hopefully. So Genesis three, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths." Okay, so thinking about this story identity-wise, again, this is a familiar story. The beginning of it is familiar, you know, Genesis one through two, and hopefully you all know the end. But what, what was Eve's identity prior to this moment? What are some things we know about Eve before the serpent entered the scene? John Halsey? What are some things that God had said about his creation? It was good. Yes, exactly. Very good. Um, you know, she's, there's just been this moment where Adam has, you know, sang this love song about Eve. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What about Eve's attire? Anyone know what she's wearing? Nothing. Nothing. Exactly, yes. <laughs> she is naked and unashamed, a.k.a. Perfectly content in her God given identity. But then the serpent, the crafty serpent, and he comes up to Eve and he tells her a really provocative lie. And what's that very first lie that the serpent says to Eve? It's a question. In verse 1. How sad that no one can read. All these parents and no one can read. The lie is, did God actually say? So we see the serpent coming up to Eve and calling God's word into question. He's saying, huh, can God be trusted? Are you sure that what God said to you before is true? And we see that unfortunately Satan's pretty good at his job, right? He's crafty because immediately Eve starts to misquote God. He never said anything about not touching the tree. And so Eve is already listening to the lies of the, of the serpent. She's already saying, huh, no, I don't think God said. Uh, I'm just going to do things the way I want to now. This is Eve turning up that world volume dial, right? Turning down the word. And so we start to see Eve kind of cultivate an identity for herself. She takes the fruit just because it looks good to her. She follows the devices and desires of her own heart. And Adam joins the party in that as well. And, oh, another thing, Eve believes, even Adam believed that they can be like God. Talk about a false identity, right? And we know that things don't go well for them there. Look at verse 7 too. As soon as this happens, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths." Okay so we get the sense that they're trying really hard to manifest an identity for themselves and they're not very good at it because they're using fig leaves that could not have been a sufficient covering. So this, Genesis 3 is showing us what happens when we try and take our identity formation into our own hands and listen to that lie of Satan. Did God actually say and back to this idea of the fig leaves, if we were to read on in Genesis 3, does anyone know what God does about the whole fig leaf problem? Exactly, yes. Genesis three twenty one, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So, despite Satan's lies coming in and saying, did God actually say you're not going to die. You can be like God. Despite Adam and Eve's disobedience and their believing that lie, God comes in and provides a far more sufficient, perfect covering that that had to include a sacrifice, a garment of skin for Adam and Eve. He gives them a better identity despite how the world has lied to them. So this is how we see the word encountering the world in Genesis 3. So thinking back to our daughters, our daughters. I I do not have a daughter, let the record show. Yes, my spiritual daughters who I love. Yes, Um, I just always never want y'all to feel like this random 26-year-old is trying to tell you how to parent. Um, I I love your daughters. Ha ha. Anyways, thinking back to the girls in our lives that we love so much. You know, this idea of did God actually say... Here's the thing, Satan's crafty, but he really just doesn't have, he has one trick and it's that, right? That same lie is still so, so pervasive today. So when when the young women in our lives look in the mirror, the temptation is for Satan to say, did God actually say you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Or do you need to look hotter in your jeans? As, as 17 is telling us. You know, when they when they really mess up, go too far with their boyfriends, Satan's gonna come and he's gonna say, Hmm, did God actually say that you can be forgiven for that? And you know, when they fail a test, Satan's going to come in and he's going to say, huh, did God actually say that he's sufficient to cover your failure? I don't know. And so that lie is so, so pervasive, particularly in the lie of a young girl. I mean, I face this lie every day. I'm sure we all do, but it's particularly pervasive during this age. And so The word meets our girls in this place and is able to say, yes, God actually said. God is able to clothe you. God is able to cover your attempts, your terrible attempts of covering yourself with fig leaves, of trying to make an identity for yourself. And he's going to give you a far, far better one. So that's Eve. Word no, sorry, see, I did it again. The world comes and lies to her and says, did God actually say? And the world comes and says, let me give you a more perfect, full, sufficient identity for you. Okay, so that's Eve. Now we're going to move on to Hagar. Hagar doesn't get a lot of airtime, but she is a fascinating fascinating woman in the Bible. Here's the backstory of Hagar real quick. So anyone know um, who Hagar was the servant of? Who did she belong to Abraham. exactly Abraham and Sarah and what was Sarah's conundrum couldn't have a baby right she was old barren and so uh, she has this Egyptian female servant Hagar and one day Sarah gets this just really great idea she says Abraham since I can't have a baby You sleep with Hagar so she can give us an offspring. Again, fabulous idea. And so Abraham and Hagar sleep together, and Hagar gets pregnant. And Hagar, the Bible tells us, looks on Sarah with contempt, which of course she did. I would too. Well, Sarah does not like this at all. And she says, Abraham, you do something about this. And Abraham's like, she's not my servant. You do something about it. And Sarah says, okay, I'm I'm banishing Hagar. So Where we find Hagar right now, she's been impregnated and she's been banished from her house um, and she's in the wilderness. And look at where the word meets her in this. So this is Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Okay, so based on what we know about Hagar's story, what, what do you think the world was telling Hagar her identity was? Sarah's request, then she was upset about it. She had hard feelings for Sarah, and Sarah returned those hard feelings. And exactly. Just... Yeah, I I really get the sense that Hagar must have felt just like a commodity to be traded, you know? I mean, just think about the complete undignifying way it must have felt to be, you know, just, oh, you go sleep with Hagar, she'll have a baby, no big deal. Um, Abraham doesn't really want to deal with Hagar. Sarah certainly doesn't want to deal with Hagar. I mean, she, the world probably made Hagar feel worthless, unvaluable, and particularly we get the sense that she felt really unseen and unheard and uncared for. But then she has this experience with the angel of the Lord where the word comes to her and makes her feel seen, cared for. You know, you would notice if you read the entire text of Genesis 16, but Abraham and Sarah never refer to Hagar by her name. They just call her my servant, your servant. But God comes and he says he knows her name, Hagar, servant of Sarai. He he engages her in questions. He wants to know her story. He cares for her. He gives her a promise for her future, right? That she's going to have this son. She's going to have great offspring, And so while the world is coming in with these lies of, you're worthless, Hagar, you're just a piece of property, no one cares about you, no one loves you, the word comes and says, you are seen. I care for you. I know you. I love you. I have a plan for you. And we get this sense that this exchange that Hagar has with the Lord is so profound that she's able to return to her mistress and submit to her. You know, again, God doesn't say, all right, now just go forget about the world. He's able to say, and you can go back to Sarah with this newfound identity that's grounded in the Lord. She's able to go back because she has been transformed by having her foundation on the word as her identity, not the world. And, you know, again, keeping it modern day, think about adolescence and and and, you know emerging adolescence it's a such bizarre combination of wanting to hide every single part of you you just want to you know fig leave everything you're so ashamed i mean think about walking into the school cafeteria it's just awful 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 so you want to hide every part of you but at the same time you have this incredible desire to be noticed to be seen to be delighted in and you know, this might lead a girl to do some pretty weird stuff. She might start dressing differently to catch the eye of her crush. You know, she might start rebelling. She might undereat and over exercise because she just wants so badly to be seen, to be able to have someone to say, I see you. I know you. I know your name. And. Like I said earlier, the world, it's just not able to do that for us. The world will never be able to give us an identity where we feel perfectly seen, perfectly known, and yet not turned away. It is only that identity in Christ that's able to make girls feel seen, validated, cared for, and that is what we want to hold out to them as when the world makes you feel unseen, God perfectly sees you and having an identity in him is going to be the only thing that brings that real sense of peace okay so we've seen eve her lie did god really say hagar her lie you are unseen now we're moving to the new testament and this is another familiar story the the story of martha and mary um from luke 10 and we're going to see that martha's identity lie is you got to do in order to be. Your identity is tied to your performance. So this is what Luke 10 tells us about our friend Martha. And I need to flip the page here. Okay. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right, this is one of my favorite stories. I resonate with this story oh so deeply. So, based on this text, what do we think Martha's worldly identity was? Organization. Productivity. Exactly. Yes. Serving. She, she has created an identity for herself that says, I'm a servant. I'm a homemaker. I am a great hostess. And so, by golly, that's what I'm going to do. Whoops. Um and if i'm not serving i don't have an identity and so even though jesus is in my house there's no way i can rest i've got to serve in order to have an identity so we get the sense that her identity lie is if you're not doing you don't have an identity your worth is inherently tied to your performance and jesus the word made flesh he has a different response How does the word enter into Martha's lie? What does he want from her? He just wants her to settle down and listen. Yes. Oh, I love that. I I need someone to tell me that every day. Rebecca, just settle down and listen. That is good stuff. Yes. You know, is Jesus worried about how clean her house is or what she can do? No, absolutely not. Jesus says... I love this. You know, Jesus just wants his Martha, Martha. He says, Martha, I just want time with you. And you don't need to serve. You don't need to do. You just need to come rest because I'm going to give you an identity that's not tied to what you can do. I just love you because you're my child. And I want you to come and rest in my presence. I want you to be able to cease from your strivings of being this identity or being a server who is grounded her whole identity in this. And you know, we've all got a Martha in us. We all have some sense of thinking that, well, if I don't do X, then then who am I? You know, my, my big identity lie in high school was, you know, well, I'm a really good Christian girl and Christian girls don't drink and they really judge everyone who does. So, if I am if I drink, who am I, right? I am no longer a good Christian girl. If I miss one Bible study, there goes my identity. That that was kind of the thing that I placed my identity in. Um for some girls it may be you know, I know I've got some runner parents in here. If I, if I miss one practice, if I get 0.5 of a second off, which I think is a big deal. I don't know anything about running, but you know, if I, if I'm a second behind in the race, then, then who am I? (laughs) That was a totally random, just made that up. Yeah. Right. Yes. Or, you know, maybe, maybe there's a girl whose identity is like, you're the hot girl. And her identity lie lie may be, you know, well, if I gain an ounce of weight, then I'm no longer the hot girl. What is my identity if I'm not doing, if I'm not striving? And so that's the lie of the world. The world will come in and say, you got to do in order to be. Your identity is completely tied to your performance. And the word comes in and says, nope, your identity is complete in me. I am the good portion. I am enough. And I want you to just come rest and receive an identity from me that is never, ever tied to your performance. I love you just because I love you. And boy, I I really want this piece for myself, but I especially want it for adolescent and pre-adolescent girls too. It's just, again, such a unique time in life when these questions, these lies of the world are so, so loud. And the good news of the gospel is so prevalent. Okay, we're going to look at one final example and we are going to look at Mary. And we all know the story of Mary, right? Mother of Jesus. So in Luke 10, Mary, sorry, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he has some pretty big and important news for her. And what is that important news? You're pregnant. Yes. And you know, I always forget to think about the fact that Mary was an adolescent girl. I mean, she's probably like 14, 15. So right right up in your daughter's age. And Gabriel comes to her and says, hey, even though you're a virgin, you are going to give birth to a baby. And not just any baby, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So pretty identity-rocking news, right? And this is Mary's response. Mary says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. That's that's who I am. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, this is... If Eve is our example of someone who's got the world turned way up, full blast, Mary's got the opposite going for her. And look, I think it would be so totally naive of us to say that Mary was totally zen. She was like, oh, cool, okay, well... <laughs> Let's go. Let's see what's going to happen. Oh my goodness, no. She's a 14-year-old who um, has just been told the most earth-shattering news ever. So the world is still at work. You know, Mary had been feeling anxious and scared and uncertain. Mary had to have been knowing that people weren't going to believe her. People were going to call her a scandal. That people would turn their backs on her. I mean, Mary was, must have been freaking out about everything. But her posture is, despite what the world says. I am a servant of the Lord. That's my identity. And let it be to me according to your word. Whatever happens, my identity is secure in the word. And, you know, this is the posture that we long for our daughters to have, our daughters, your daughters to have, that their, their truest identity at the end of the day is that they are a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When the world comes to them and says, you don't look hot enough in your jeans. I'm sorry, that's the example I keep using. That is just so funny to me that that was um, the big selling point of Seventeen Magazine. You know, when the world comes to them and says, you're not being authentic to yourself enough. When the world comes to them and says, you need clearer skin now. um, Their identity, grounded in Christ, allows them to say, look, sure, that might be the case, but... I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. All right, so where do we go from here? And this is again where I, um, please do not hear me telling you how to parent because I cannot imagine how hard it must be. I do just want to leave you with a couple of takeaways. Do with them what you will. Um, The first one is... Begin from a place of empathy. This is I'm, I, I don't doubt that any of y'all lack in empathy, but I just want to um, encourage you to think about how loud the world is. It is so, so loud. And like I said, it's only gotten louder, you know, with the emergence of Instagram and TikTok, and I don't even know what else is out there anymore. But the world is screaming. And so, you know, when your daughter comes home and she's freaking out about, how so and so didn't like her Instagram or how so and so left her unread on Snapchat that's a big deal. You know, I yes, grand scheme of life, it's it is trivial, but in that in her world, that's a big deal. And so, I'll just encourage you to begin from a place of empathy and compassion. The second thing, and this is where this is where you can have some fun, talk back to the world and engage with it in a biblical way. So, Like I said, the world's not going anywhere, but the opportunity is not for us to drown out the world, but to talk back with it. You know, if you're in the grocery store checkout line and you see a 17 magazine, be like, huh, I wonder what the Bible would say about that. Or, huh, how does it make you feel to see a girl dressed like that? Or, huh, did God actually say that you have to look hot in your jeans in order to be something? So, uh... This is, uh, this example came to me because it happened honestly, um, an embarrassingly short amount of time ago. So, um, a couple Christmases ago, my mom was asking me what I wanted for Christmas. And I told her that I really, really, really wanted this way too expensive hairdryer. More than anyone should ever pay for a hairdryer. But I really wanted it. And I remember, uh, sending my mom a link to, to the hairdryer. And her just you know rolling her eyes oh my gosh this is a sinful amount of money to pay for a hair dryer and I remember saying no 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 mom you don't understand this hair dryer is going to change my life and I really believe that I, I wanted it so badly and my mother wise woman that she is she talked back um, she talked back to the world with me and she said now We know that there's really only one thing that can change your life. And of course, I rolled my eyes at that, but she was right. She was talking back to my talking the world in her. And, you know, spoiler alert, um, I did end up receiving said hairdryer, and my life is still the same. So she she knew what she was talking about there. But that's what I mean. Talk back to the world. Um, Particularly talk back to it with the Word of God. And this is what I mean when I say be a counterfeit spotter. So this is something that I love um, talking to girls about. So a friend of mine who's really into art told me once that people that are trained in art, oh my goodness, I just forgot the word, um, uh, counterfeit. What would you say that for art? Like, yes, forgery, there it is, yes, art forgery. They, They never look at the fakes. Their entire careers, are dedicated to studying the original. So that way, if um, a scammer comes along and tries to sell them a counterfeit, they'll be able to say, nope, a real Van Gogh doesn't have that stroke in the upper hand corner because they've been intensely studying the original so that when a fake comes along, they're able to say, nope, that's not it. And so this is what I mean when I say be a counterfeit spotter. We want to be reading the word with our girls getting it in their brains however they can, however you can. Because the more they're studying that original copy, the more they're studying what God actually said, the better they'll be able to be at, "Mm, that doesn't sound like God's word to me, you know? This seems like a phony piece of art. Uh, again, it's that lie of, did God actually say, and the more they're ingrained in the word, the more they're studying that original, the better they're going to be able to say, nope, God did not actually say that's not who I am. So be a counterfeit spotter with your daughter. Um, and you know, this isn't up there, but I hope it goes without saying, pray for them. I I know that, um, y'all are all wonderful, loving, godly parents. Katie, you are a w- lovely person as well. And, um, you, you know and love teenage girls. Yes. And, uh, yeah, pray for them. Oh my, they, they need lots of prayer. And so pray that your daughter would have an identity grounded in the word and that the world would be so quiet. Um, oh, and then I, I have these printed out for y'all, but Cameron came up with these a few years ago and it's what, it's what we use with with the youths, and we call this the Gospel Identity Catechism. And, you know, I can't guarantee that if you do this with your daughter, it's going to be eye-roll free. You know, I don't know what this looks like for you as a parent, but this is something, you know, put it on a mirror. Or this could be your drop-off in the morning routine, specifically if your kids are younger. But it's a way of reminding them. It's a way of helping them study the original of who they are. So... Who does the Spirit say you are? One who is washed and clean. Who does Jesus say you are? One who is forgiven and righteous. Who does the Father say you are? One who is an adopted child of God. Who are you? A sinner saved by grace. You know, if this is what they have walking into the doors of the junior high school or whatever, boy, that's that's armor right there. Um, And again, I have those for you all printed out if you just want to take it to go. But um, that is all I have for us today. We have some time for questions if anyone has one. Um, but let me let me pray and then I'll open up the floor to questions. Gracious God. Um, I thank you so much for the gift of an identity that comes to us um, not based on our performance not based on what we do, not based on what the world says about us, God. We thank you for the gift of your Son and for his bestowing of a new identity on us that cannot be shaken. Lord, I pray for every single girl represented in this room who you know and love and care for so deeply. And I pray for them, Lord. Pray that they would know the freedom of having an identity that's rooted in the word, not the world. Um, Thank you for these parents and their desire to raise godly women. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless and sustain their efforts. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.